House Flipping HQ Podcast, Episode 26. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. What's going on, everybody? What an action-packed week it has been. First off, we just surpassed the 50,000 download mark. I continue to be amazed at the support and the amount of uh, listeners we have on each and every show. So thank you so much. Secondly, as many of you know, we just launched our House Flipping Mastermind Group and that has been underway for the past few days and I am blown away at the amazing, incredible, dynamic group that we have and all of the conversation and feedback that we're already getting within the group. Thank you guys so much. Wanted to give you a shout out for uh, helping me realize one of my dreams that I had for several years. And I'm just really excited. Things are pumping in that Facebook group already, let me tell you up, and we are just getting started. So can't wait to join you on your journey and see what we have in store for you and us and everybody in 2014 and beyond. To register for our next webinar and learn more about the house flipping uh, mastermind group we started, you can go to houseflippinghq.com slash webinar, and we will see you on the next one. Today, we have got an incredible show lined up for you. First off, I had Brian Daly from REIG uh, Investment Group come over this past week, and he brought his assistant, Marcel, and... These guys are just doing amazing things. I can't believe in such a short period of time how much volume they're doing and how much their business has taken off. So they came over, they wanted to talk to me a little more about systematizing. So I had them do the quick flip tip for today. And it's just pretty cool to hear both Brian and his assistant. They kind of get some feedback on some of the things we talked about. Uh, So it's pretty cool to listen to that and hear uh, from them directly and from their assistant and the fact that they're going to hire another assistant. and just some of the things that they learned. After that, we dive right into my interview with Michael Quarles from yellowletters.com. Michael is a master marketer, and I'm just blown away at all the information that he shared with us. We cover it all from marketing to taking the calls to negotiating with the sellers. This guy is getting some pretty good spreads, much better than I am, actually. And I, I think you'll get a lot of the call. I know I did. And at the very end, you won't hear it in this episode because it's divided up into two parts, but he offers a thousand letters for one of you lucky guys or gals. And then he also offers another freebie for anybody who leaves a comment in the next episode comment section. So let's jump right into our flip tip and then we'll get rocking with our man, Michael Quarles. All right, everybody, it is now time for your... Flip tip. Okay, so today for the first time, we are making history here. I have Brian Daly from REIG came over, wanted to, we just wanted to talk shop, talk systems and about business and our assistants. He brought his assistant, Marcel, who, which we have confirmed is a man, by the way, sorry, Marcel, I kept referring to him as a female. (laughs) 
So anyway, we just got done spending an hour and a half uh, talking systems and business and how we could grow our businesses. So Brian is going to go ahead and share with you a couple nuggets. I don't even know what he's going to talk about. Uh, Just a couple quick nuggets of what he learned in our conversation right now. Take it away, Brian. All right. Thanks, Justin. All right. So the biggest reason we, uh, you know, I was so interested in in meeting Justin personally here at his his home was we're trying to expand and get some assistance in roles that we're currently playing. Uh, We as in uh, my partner, Patrick, myself, and Marcel as our acquisitions manager. So we're hiring an assistant and we all wanted to pick Justin's brain because he's been phenomenal at systematizing and getting his team to work so efficiently without him. So some of the things I got from our conversation today was being very, very particular about the kind of communication that you're being involved in. If it's not that important, then I, we don't need to see it. And that's one thing that, that I'm going to take back and implement right away is I don't want to be on emails. I don't want to hear phone calls about things that don't make a drastic impact on growing the business or maintaining the business. So the other thing I really wanted to talk about, the big takeaway that I got was kind of letting go and trusting other professionals to do what they're good at. And it, it hit home because we have several opportunities exactly like that right now that we're looking to capitalize on, but we're kind of going back and forth because it's a big step for us we haven't done before, but we really need to kind of let go parts of our business, maybe not bring in as much income or maybe pay a little bit more than we're comfortable with or that we've done before, but really use those relationships and, and leverage them and, and trust the people that we're working with to bring the kind of business that we need back to us. It's going to be tough, but I know it's something we need to do and we need to do quick. Very good. So uh, well, why don't you tell us really quick uh, what some of your goals are for this year? Okay. Well, um, I don't know how much you guys know about our business, but real quick, we have a, a construction company. We have uh, an investment company for the investment company. We want to buy and sell 70 houses this year. And for the construction company, we want to service 40, and, uh, 40 retail clients. Our big, big goal this year on the investment side is to systematize, streamline, and lower our cost of funds for our private money. And you know we're going to take that and hopefully be able to do some fun and bigger deals along the way. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys. Uh, Marcel, what about a shout out from you? This is Marcel. And yes, I'm in fact a man. Thanks, Justin, <laughs> for clarifying. So Brian and I have been talking a lot about a lot of what we went over today. And I think Justin kind of put it into perspective for us. There's a lot of things that we do that we probably should let go of, or, you know, I know that we should let go of. And what we should start to do is go for that low hanging first, you know, find somebody and start them off, give them the tasks that you're confident they can do and that are trainable, and then grow that person to really own their role and uh, really help you grow your business and allow you to do the things that you're really good at. So Marcel, what are some of the things that you're doing right now with Brian and Patrick? What are your roles? How long have you been with them and what are your roles? I came over part-time in 2012, and then uh, I really left and took the leap in November of 2012. And I started off very small, just kind of comping out properties and calling agents, just cold calling. And they kind of just threw me in with a shark, and I had to just sink or swim. And, and don't get me wrong, they gave me a lot of guidance, but it really, it was, it's been a big growing period. Right now, I'm still doing a lot of comping. I do have somebody who helps me, but I do a lot of comping as well. But my focus is really moving toward the relationship aspect of everything and trying to be more of a manager than doing the day-to-day. I honestly don't want to be reviewing any kind of title or escrow documents anytime soon. And so that's why we're really here is to kind of pick your brain a little bit and uh, see what are the things that I'm doing every day that I could really pass off and 
aren't important for me to be doing. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming over. I had a lot of fun. Uh, well, we should hang out soon again sometime. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. You have a beautiful home and thanks for having us. No problem. Aren't you going to say something nice about me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Justin wants me to say something nice about him real quick. So beautiful home. It was, it was a, ple- it was a pleasure, pleasure for him to open his doors to us. I didn't need you us. to talk about my oh, home. Come on. All right, guys. That is your flip tip for today. And uh, that's all. All right, guys. Hope you got a little something out of that. I mean, just seeing someone who's already running a pretty robust house flipping business talk about how they can improve their systems hearing directly from their assistant and someone else they're going to be bringing on on all the little that's the little things that really count i mean these guys we just talked about some of the little things that they can improve and it'll make a dr- dramatic difference in their business this year so hope you got a little something out of that and now let's move on to the main event michael has personally flipped hundreds of deals and he uh, has helped other investors flip even more. So I'm sure you're going to get a ton of this call. Uh, without any further ado, let's get to it. I give you Michael Quarles. All right. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the show today. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to give you a personal and public, I suppose, quick thank you for helping our company out so much over the last couple of years. I recall when we were first getting into direct mail and I realized, you know, we just couldn't handle it all on our own. We reached out to another company and um, you know, they just weren't giving us what we needed. And then we contacted you. And what I loved about your company is not only were your prices better, but you were willing to hop on the phone with us and help us out personally. And you provided us with these calls and we could ask questions. And it just really helped us take off in the direct marketing field. So thank you so much for that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, besides what it, that's what we do here, I enjoy it. And you know, being an investor myself, I think it adds a little bit or a lot when someone's buying a product from someone who actually uses the product and not just selling a product. And so I think the experience of knowing what that product does for me helps and translates into success for the, the people we get to help. So I enjoy it. That's why I do it. Never thought I'd be a printer. Um, <laughs> but um, here I sit doing millions and millions and millions of pieces of metal a year. And wow. um, yeah, it's kind of a crazy ride. Well, why don't you give... Before we dive in, I, we are going to dive into your house flipping business. And I also want to obviously talk a ton about marketing because I know you're you know, a marketing genius. Um, let's give us a little bit of background. Where I know you're in you know, Bakersfield, California. I lived there as well. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> give us a little more of your background. Um, came here, trekked here with my parents when I was just a little child. Kind of read the, the requirement when the parents moved to a city, you have to move with them. Um, <laughs> I call myself an indentured servant. My father was a um, construction person, so I was pretty much indentured servant that I had to go to work with him and need for school, after school, weekends kind of stuff. Nice. So I learned the construction business as a child, and um, when I was 18, I knew quite a bit about a lot of those things that you know people that are 18 years old don't know. And I bought my first piece of property, I think it was 18, 19 years old, and um, wow. fell in love with dirt. And um, have bought tons and tons of houses since. Wow, that's amazing. So, what is it that got you into you know house flipping? For first of all, why house flipping? I know I've talked to you before. Um, I don't think that there's um, it's pretty blind. I mean, it, there's from an industry perspective, I don't. You know, anybody can do it. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're short, tall, fat, skinny, male, <laughs> female. 
you know, it, the only thing it requires is that, is that someone wants to. And so um, what really attracted me to it is the amount of money that someone can make based on the amount of work that they do. And so it was, it's, not, it's not a regular job. You know, I don't get a paycheck, but I get really fat checks. And I kind of like that. And then when you get them every other day or every third or fourth day, that's even better. So, you know, my last wife, I hate saying it like that, but my last wife who was a school teacher, you know, in three days, I would make what she would make the entire year. And yeah, is that fair? I don't know. But um, that's what the life of a real estate investor is. And so it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Now, yeah, she went to college for like six years to become a school teacher. And, and um, well, it's funny. It's it funny is what you, it is. It's funny you mention that because I actually was uh, getting a degree. I played football at BYU and I was getting a degree to become a PE teacher. And I was in the back of my mind wanted to own a business. And I think that's part of the reason why, I don't know, it, I know it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but to me, it made sense at the time. <laughs> but I never went into that field. I mean, I just, I actually dropped out. I, all I had left was my student teaching in one other class because I realized exactly what we're talking about, uh, that the opportunities were just so much greater doing other things. So, uh, at least for me, for what I was trying to go for. But. Yep. I was, um, I remember the summer I enlisted into the, the Air Force and I was 18 at the time and my enlist date, so I enlisted on like show up three months later kind of thing as a, um, a computer engineer. And, you know, I'm, I'm older than dirt. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't even know what a computer was way back then. But during the summer, um, while I was waiting for my enlist date to show up, I found this piece of property, bought it, fell in love with it, and um, here I sit, every cent. And I've probably bought up, I should add it up, but it's got to be close to a thousand pieces wow. of property. Wow. So. Now, these are all flips, or do you hold some of these? No, I, I'm a horrible landlord. Uh -huh. um, I've tested whether or not I like it or not, but I'm a horrible landlord. I, you know, When you get to a point in life where making a, a mortgage payment or collecting rent, um, you know, collecting rent isn't required to make the mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. Then you, you let your tenants do things that you shouldn't let your tenants do. And, yep. and so, you know, I, yeah, I love the kill of the, of buying a house and, and yeah. selling a house and then going buying another one. I love that bucket of money. It's yep. like, you know, what's on my bucket list? A bucket lo load of money. So, <laughs> well, we kind of had a um, similar experience. You know, I had some rental properties, but we were doing so well on the flips. It got to the point when someone didn't pay their rent. It wasn't even worth like messing with it. And I'm like, okay, I should probably sell right, this. Yeah. <laughs> I got to drive all the way over to, all across town to get 250 bucks. Exactly. Uh, and I understand passive income. And I understand um, that for a lot of people who are um, investing in their second job, like so they're a school teacher or they deliver mail or they're an attorney or something, having uh, rental income from a tax pers uh, perspective is, is pretty cool. And that long-term gain from appreciation is cool for them. I just look at it and go, okay, if I'm going to go out there and market for a piece of property to buy it, and I can negotiate with the seller directly, so I'm not going to go through a realtor, which is how most people buy passive income, um, and I can convince that seller to sell me a house at 50 cents on the dollar, and then I can turn around and sell it for 100 cents on the dollar and not do anything to it, that's making that kind of money seems nice. Yes. Over, <laughs> over going, well, yeah, in 30 years it'll be paid for, well, yeah. Well, in thirty years, I'll buy a thousand of them. Exactly. Um, and so, Michael, I, I love uh, to hear you talk about this because I have so many friends that are landlords and just don't understand why I don't 
go focus on that. And I'm just, I don't understand why. The, <laughs> so. Right. Well, you know, I wrote a book on sub two investing and, you know, I get asked quite a bit, well, why don't you invest sub two from a, the, um, the carry back of the paper side of it? And it's the same thing. I, you know, I don't, you know, if I'm going to go buy a house and sell a house, I want to make the money, you know, in that 93 day average. Where if I sell sub two and I do a, a you know a loan carry back basically and wrap the the original loan, then I'm waiting however long I have to wait to make the money and I I just like making it now. So I agree with you 100 percent, which is why you know my whole platform is house flipping HQ and building a house flipping business mm -hmm. um, yeah. because I believe you know I'm in a position right now where I could buy that passive income if I wanted it. Right. But and, and there are there are times, you know, you can visit with an accountant and there's times that he says or she says, you might consider owning some passive income. But if you own passive income for a tax advantage, I think that might be a, a, a good reason as long as you then say, OK, I'm going to have someone else manage it. Yeah. I'm going to pretend I don't own it. I just want the write off. Um, but most people don't do that. Get right in the middle of it and change toilets and paint walls and, you know, and go collect rent and. And, you know, they're out of doing the unlawful containers and all that other garbage while, you know, I'm sitting at the restaurant, having a glass of wine and enjoying myself. Um, and I have my bucket of money already. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, they talk about the passive income and the tax advantages, but I mean, I've run numbers again. And I, I just love running numbers, right? I mean, what I do. So the numbers don't even compare. Not no, they really don't. If you even you know, close, if you need a tax write off, just make more money. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and I had a friend of mine who, um, I, and I told this to him, he was having a, an issue with uh, paying some child support. And, you know, and I, he was all frustrated and everything else. I said, why don't you just buy more houses? That problem will go away. Yeah. And, you know, buying houses and flipping houses, a lot of problems go away. Yep. And um, I've met all kinds of people. You know, one of the first questions I ask them is, what do you want to, how much do you want to make? And the most common answer to that will People will say, well, I want to make $100,000. Yeah. How soon do you want to do that? And they go, well, a year. And I'm thinking, boy, if you, could, if you don't make more than hundred grand oh, man. your first year in real estate, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, you're treating true. it wrong. True. And so, and I don't really care what market you're in. I mean, you can be in, you know, most expensive marketplace, a guy I'm helping in New York, and, you know, his average cab cost in his houses is four, five, six $600,000. And wow. um, he makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a house flipping them. And he, he's loving it. Yeah. So. No, I love I love flipping. I love flipping. I love creating a business around flipping. It just allows you to do so much more. You're able to get different kinds of capital that you couldn't get on rental property. Yeah. You can create systems and hire people that, I mean, imagine if I had the same amount of employees that I have and the same overhead, my cash, I'd have to have like a thousand houses that are cash flowing a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> it's right. like, it's right. crazy. I mean, anyway, I... I don't do those numbers, anybody who's listening, because I don't even know what I threw out there. But <laughs> I think you and you know, for and for me, I mean, besides not, you know, I'm, I enjoy money, but I really enjoy doing the deal. Yeah, you know, and looking at the check at the end of the day and going, man, this only took me like seven hours worth of work, and you know, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it is a cool thing. You know, two and a half years ago, I did have this idea of financial freedom through passive income of rental properties. And that lasted as several months when I bought 12 properties and very quickly ran out of money and had about a hundred bucks after all expenses coming in from each one. 
And then I sold four of those and profit I made from those was like the same amount I would have made in like 20 years, you know, from any cash flow. And I very, very quickly changed my perspective on financial freedom. And, you know, I I don't want to be on here saying, oh, no, I have this and that because it's not I have not arrived. I have so much further to go in this journey, you know, which we all do. But I tell you what, you know, the things I'm now able to do with my family and I don't spend a lot of the money I make. I usually reinvest it. But the things, the options that I have now that I did not have before, like buying my own home, living next to the beach because I I want to going to Disneyland two times in the last week with my kids and seeing the look on their faces. It's all because of those choices I made to increase my income and gain that financial freedom in such a shorter period of time than I could have any other way. So, all right, well, we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, one of the questions besides, you know, how much someone wants to make that I get asked back is flipping houses honest. I mean, and you know, because they're really, some people have a hard time getting around the fact that we can buy a house at 50 cents on the dollar and sell it for 100%. And, you know, we must, of course, that seller into selling it to us for 50 cents on the dollar. But we never do. I mean, reality is, is we solve a problem that the seller is in. Typically, we're, it's a problem no one else will solve in a time frame that we can solve it in. And there are more times that people give me hugs and are crying by the time they say yes. Because I've just taken the burden away. So I think what we do, besides being profitable, is actually good. People are, are stressed out about their housing situations, and, and we solve problems. I have yet to buy a house from anybody that didn't agree to sell me their house at the price we agreed to. So um, Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. No, absolutely. And, I mean, not to mention these people, you know, they would have additional costs involved. They may not know how or want to deal with fixing it up. I mean, there's so much value that you're adding to them as well. So, but right. yeah, you know, we don't. When I I have a complete presentation, you know, you know, where you park from, how you knock on the door to the first thing you say to a seller to the last thing you say to a seller, and everything in between. We are during our negotiation, and it is a negotiation because you can't walk up to the door, knock on it, and say I'll give you fifty cents on the dollar, and have most people say yes. But what we do is is friendly, it's fair, it's an important aspect of it. They have to understand the numbers and understand what they mean and how they click to the bottom line at the end of the day. And they're very, very comfortable with it. I've, I've often told people that if we don't teach our sellers how to sell that house again, um, the deal may begin to start to unwind. And um, I don't want deals to unwind, so I have to be you know, forthcoming and honest and, and make it a win-win for everybody. There's been many times that I've been in a house and the seller has wanted less than they should want and I've paid more than they said they would take because it has to be a win-win in all, in all situations. So, um, yeah. you know, the numbers that we need are the numbers we need. You know, I tell people who've gone through and they've learned some of the power of mimicking and pacing and neurolinguistics and positive negative reinforcements and those things, you know, don't use them to take advantage of the situation. Just use them to negotiate. When you get to your number, you've gotten to your number. So, um, well, I, Michael, I'd actually like to go through um, some of these things in more detail. I've heard you talk about them. Let's, but if you don't mind, let's start out with marketing. I'd like to kind of talk about marketing first, and then getting to how you buy and do some of your negotiations. So, you and I have, um, had, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that um, 
how I do it today is not how I did it yesterday. Kind of thing. When I began in the business of real estate investing, um, gosh, the first time I was talking about naive, but you know, buying a you know a couple hundred houses a year requires a lot of on-purpose action, and um, you know, but as well as buying 50. But my actions are different today than they were you know a couple years ago. Both of those things though are driven by marketing. And I've always said it's the key to success. If you, if someone's not some way putting the idea out to the public's mind that you buy houses, you know, accidentally the phone is not going to ring yes. from someone who wants to sell a house. It's just not going to happen. And um, one of the things that probably frustrates me the most is um, the hype that's out there that says, well, all you got to do is do this. Well, there's a lot more than the this to it. And it's driven by marketing. And um, if you do the right type and the right quantities of it to the right types of people and continue with it, then you'll be successful. And, you know, one year I spent 600 grand in marketing from, and I was doing infomercials to billboards to direct mail to TV, some radio. You know, I'd, I'd sponsor schools in the areas I wanted to buy in. You know, that's one of the things. If you go to a school, a, a, a grammar school, and you sponsor the third grade class in the areas that you want to sponsor, I mean, you give all those students I buy houses pencils because teachers now have to buy pencils for the kids. Schools don't do it. Pencils go home with the kids. Well, inevitably, they sit in the house of that the house that I want to buy, and it says I buy houses with my phone number on them. Nice. So there's all kinds of ways to get to the the decision makers on selling. And I just think we have to do it. You know, there, was, there were days that I didn't have any money to do anything except pick up the telephone and call for dollars. And um, so do that. And most people don't take advantage of their center of influence. The amount of people that we know that know people, you know, if you believe in the six degrees of separation from a marketing perspective, mm-hmm. if you knew six people, then you could talk to everybody in the world. Well, if you on purpose put your message out there, then you'd have results. Or if you did it on purpose, you'd hire a marketing company that, and you'd say, okay, this is the amount of deals I want to do a year. What do I have to do to do that? Somehow find out how to, to finance it because you have to finance it. And um, then the deals would come in and then the conversations turn from I want to do from that to I want to do more deals. Then they turn from the more deals, well, my lists aren't big enough. I can't get a big enough list because I want to do more deals. And then there's a paradigm shift that happens. And that paradigm is at some point someone's going to wake up and say, wow. Last year, I did have a half a million dollars in the bank, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it this year. Yep. And so, and then when you when you do that, and you realize that you've just changed your life because you've made some choices, and you followed those choices, um, it's pretty exciting. It's all yeah. about marketing. Yeah. I mean, Budweiser, you know, Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday. I'm sorry, I'm getting long-winded. No, Cut me off. No, no, day. you're you're fine. But the, I just might keep you longer than you planned. So as long as you have the time, it's okay with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Budweiser is going to spend millions of dollars this coming Sunday. And what's, what's, if we really think about what they're doing, they're going to put out Super Bowl commercials that tell us to drink, for those that drink their product, a product that's already being held by their consumer. So the consumer went out and bought the Bud Light or the Budweiser or the Bud Lime or whatever it is, but Budweiser is still going to spend a million dollars telling them to drink it. They've already bought it. So if Budweiser could figure out that we have to continually market, we can't just rely on what we did yesterday. 
we have to continually market so that the next sporting event, they're going to hold another Budweiser in their hand. If they figured it out, we real estate investors should figure it out too. That we can't stop the marketing push. We always have to re- be reinvesting our dollar back into marketing. I, I and agree it's about completely. A, you know, when you start, it's an 8 to 12 time multiplier. But after you get going, that multiplier is going to go up to about 20%, 20 times. And, um, now let's talk. When you told me that a couple of years ago, it's it stuck with me ever since. You, know, you mentioned Geico and how they can't spend enough money marketing. And however much money they spend, I think you said they're making eight to 12 times that amount back. Right. So, you know, and I think in 2011, they spent like just a hair under a billion dollars. And um, he, well, he was interviewed. He said, I can't, I can't spend more. We can't spend any more money, but we want to. That's crazy. Um, and if you think about that, that's just amazing that you're the richest man in the, our country anyway wants to spend more money on advertising because he understands that the return is going to be so great. Yep. And I, you know, I think anybody who listens to the call, if, if they and I agree, if you give me a dime, I'll give you back a dollar. Mm-hmm. I bet you I have a lot of dimes on my doorstep. <laughs> Probably, yep. And that's what it's like. Um, the problem, especially if we have a new investor, is not real yet because there's a lot of unknowns for people. And... Um, we have a lot of blind faith for a lot of things, and I think sometimes we have to have a little bit of blind faith going, so-and-so's doing it. I can see them doing it. I can see their life has changed because they're doing it. Um, I can do it, too. The confidence, you know, self-confidence is hard for someone to have. Mm-hmm. But once they have it and, and follow the simple, you know, rules, which is put the money out there, do it intelligently, track it, determine... What how I market today was not is not how I marketed it, you know last year or the year before. The pieces are similar, but they're not the same. And it's a constant, you know, what's working better, what's working different, because everything changes. So let's dive into some of that. You know, talk from your perspective what is working, and then also what you think either new investors who have something going or people who want to get going, what would they do? Let's talk about some details here. Yeah, I think. The important thing for a new investor is understanding and first deciding what their goal is. So what do they want to accomplish? Well, I want to, I want to buy a house. Okay, that's great. But how much do you want to make on the house? Um, because a lot of new investors start out as wholesalers and not the actual end, up, end investor who's going to buy and sell the house. So you really have to say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And then when you have a dollar value in mind, you have to divide back into that. Okay, well, if I want to make $5,000 on my first deal, then I know then I have to spend anywhere between five and $600 in good marketing to produce that. Um, if I want to make $50,000 on my deal, then I know I have to spend $5,000 to $6,000 to make that. And so, you know, what would I suggest someone do? You know, I sell millions of yellow letters, and uh, the yellow letters are great for blowing the phone up, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is, is it blows the phone up, and the bad thing is, is it blows the phone up. <laughs> well, it would be like um, going out and having a crowd of people wanting to talk to you all at one time about something, and you're not having the attention to talk to them all. And so the one person that you truly wanted to talk to, you weren't able to communicate well enough to have a deal happen. Well, that's sometimes what it's like with yellow letters. It's 
it's an enormous response rate that the investor is so, you know, they have so much busy work that they don't do anything with it. Where sometimes it's better to send out a zip letter, which isn't going to get nearly the calls, but the calls are going to be like they kind of like get in line. They wait to talk to you because they're, they're more highly motivated. Same way with some of the postcards. The postcards are going to get less calls than the zip even, but they're still going to be a different kind of motivation. And we know on like on yellow letters that we're going to get, um, and the numbers nowadays are a little bit lower than they used to be. And I think part of that is because we're getting more investors in the marketing pool, which is fine. We need our peer group and the propaganda from our peer group. So, um, but the, you know, it used to be, you know, 15, 25% was reasonable to expect. And now if we get, you know, 8 to 12%, we've hit a home run. You're talking um, about calls back, right? Correct. Calls, correct. So if you send calls out back. 100 letters, uh, right. getting about then 10 calls back is eight, pretty good. Eight to, eight to, you're right. And, I, and I've had customers chart back to me, you know, that, you know, I had one guy say, you know, 52% calls and I saw his, his call volume. So he wasn't making the number up. But I would rather have 10% call volume than 50% call volume, especially in the yeah. beginning when I don't have an infrastructure set up in place. You know, we look at the infrastructure and, and the components of it. We have lead generation, lead capture, and lead fulfillment. Just because we can, you know, get the phone to ring, generate the lead, that doesn't necessarily mean we can capture it or fulfill it. And if those two components aren't in play, it doesn't make any sense to make the phone blow up. So... You know, I really have to look at the investor and what they're trying to accomplish and what their budget is and how long they can hold that budget because that's the important thing. If you can't hold a budget for six months now, don't start. Or start at a budget that can be held for six months and understand that, well, it's not going to get the goal that I want. Well, right, but if you have a goal but you don't have the resource to meet the goal, let's make a smaller goal, make, you know, reach that goal. Don't spend any of that money. Maybe you take all of that money then and put back into marketing so you can reach the goal that you really want to have. But, you know, we've got to make sure that, you know, we're not once and done and, and be frustrated and then going off to sell Tupperware or Amway or something. Yeah. And that happens a lot. You know, people get yeah. burnt out before they reach. It's like the three feet from gold concept, right? I see so many people that I'm just like, why did you quit? <laughs> it's like, like, it's not yeah, real it's, to them, um, like you said. And then it doesn't, they don't reach that goal. And Well, we know who we are. I mean, let's face it. We absolutely know who we are. You can be driven to, you know, be in the, at the gym at 4 o'clock in the morning and then again at, at 5 o'clock at night and have a, a great, you know, physique and you eat healthy and, and all those good things. You can have that drive. You can have a drive to make as much money as you want. So you can have a money drive. You can have a family drive. I mean, there's all kinds of different drives. But if you want to have a, you know, a wealth drive or a prosperity drive, you've got to realize that you might have to trade something in. You may have to go, well, I can't do something else for a while because I need to conquer this thing. And I see that. I, you know, we really have to, from the perspective of what do I do and how do I get started, well... You mean I might not I have just, to watch as much TV? Right, yeah. I mean, and I remember, you know, the first time I cold called, and I'm not a shy person. First time I cold called, that I picked up that phone and it about killed me. It's like my heart was racing and I was having a panic attack and, you know, but that's I didn't have any money to do anything else. So, you know, I was dialing, opened up the phone book, and I started calling the, everybody on that page. And, um, you know, the first time I dialed, and I knew that, you know, there's techniques to a cold call. I knew that if the phone rang three times, hang up and call someone else. Because it's all about, you know, calling as many people as you can, talking to many, as many people. Well, the first two times I hung up too soon. Third time, it actually rang three times, and I thought, well, I can do this. Fourth time, someone actually answered and sold me their house. 
I realized at that point, yeah, this is pretty easy. So then I, I forced myself to cold call two hours a day between 9 and 11, five days a week. Wow. And um, eventually I stopped cold calling because I made a book a lot of money cold calling. And I went into more, I call cold calling and those kinds of things, sweat marketing. And I went into paid marketing, things that don't require me to do it. Because ultimately, unless we just don't want to leave a legacy, ultimately we have to have a business that can be left to our children or sold or does not require us. Because if a business requires us, we can't go on vacation. Because at the moment we do, our money goes on vacation too. And it, you know the vacation is expensive enough. <laughs> and then if you're not making any money, then that's real expensive. Yeah. And so... You know, I started an on-purpose business model where other people did what I did. You know, Ron Legrand, his famous thing was, uh, the less I do, the more I make. I thought he was full of crap until I decided that's true. And so the less you do, the more you make. As long as you um, create those systems in the beginning. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I didn't, you know, anybody that ever wanted to create systems, they should read Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Yep. It's an old little paperback and it's a fast read, but it starts talking about, you know, just because you can, you know, be a great pie baker or cake baker doesn't mean you can run a cake baking company for success. You know, the difference between a technician and a manager and an entrepreneur. And we all strive to, you know, to be the, the guy with all the money and, you know, got to have systems to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love it. Love it. We've kind of gone into some other areas I didn't plan on talking about, but I think it's all really valuable information. So I appreciate that. So, Let's talk, I mean, you talked about the yellow letter, the zip letter. I think most people know what the yellow letter is. Um, can you explain those real quick, the yellow letter and the zip letter? The idea behind the yellow letter is that you've sat down and taken out a yellow pad tablet and wrote someone a note. Maybe you drove by their house or something and jotted down their addresses. You wrote them a note that says, hi, my name is Michael. I want to buy your house at the address that you jotted down. And please call me at this phone number. And thanks, Michael. And it's a really uh, mom and pop, a mom and pop presentation, and it works. So you put it in, in a in an invitation envelope that has you know address on it and a stamp, and because it's not coming from corporate America, it really gets a great response rate. But that response rate is people that want to sell a house today, people that want to sell a house down the road, people that don't want to sell a house. So all three types. The cool part about it is, is your everybody that talk, calls from that yellow letter is a prospect. So or you wouldn't send them out. You don't send yellow letters out as a farm when you're sending them to people that you want to buy their house and they qualify to sell your house to you. So that's what a yellow letter is. And then the zip letter, it looks like a traffic ticket or a check coming in the mail. So we and we put it, we, we make it look like that so it's open because open something that's open is better than something that's not. And so they they tear it open. It's perforated, so they have to open it up. Like if you've ever been summoned as a juror, it was in a zip letter. And then we start telling them, in that um, media, we actually describe what we do. We're in the yellow letter. We don't describe what we do. So we're not telling them we're real estate investors. We're in the zip letter. We say, yeah, I'm a real estate investor. I pay all the costs, no commissions, no fees. Buy as is, close on the day of your choice. We give them all the bullet points of why we're better than using the traditional means. Give them multiple ways to contact us back, which is important. So with the yellow letter, we're only letting them have our phone number to call us back with a zip letter. You know, they can go to the website, they can you know, come to my office, they can call me on my phone, they can mail me back their address and how much they want for their house. And there's all kinds of things they can do. Okay. A little more corporate, Phil. A few more options. Yeah, it's corporate and it's um, 
and, and the reason the response rate is less is because we answer all the questions. Got it. So we don't get the questions on the zip letter like, uh, why do you want to buy my house that you would get from a yellow letter? Why, you know, the yellow letter gets, a, it makes the person believe that their house is special to you. Well, it, it is. It's one that you want to buy, but they think it's because it's special. Like it's blue or brown or, yeah. you know, the, the landscaping or the curb appeal or whatever it is. Um, where the zip letter gets rid of all that nonsense and, and then the postcard, if, you know, we say pretty much on a postcard the same things we say in a zip letter, we just can't say as much. And then the issue with the postcard is it's junk mail. All the pieces are junk mail, but two of them just don't look like they're junk mail, so they get opened. Got it. So the uh, response rate isn't as great as the zip. But then we have, as an example, we have full-color postcards, which, you know, you send someone a 6 by 9 full-color, glossy postcard with, I want to buy your house on the front. And then on the back, that looks like it's coming from corporate America. And on the back, you tell them why you're better than using a real estate professional. That goes a long way. And then we have greeting cards. Imagine sending a greeting card out to people on your list. That starts building relationships. Because we know that although you're going to get calls and opportunities from the first mailing and the second mailing and the third mailing and the fourth and so on, as you start rolling down towards that eighth mailing, your inertia is going to pick up and the amount of quality calls to contracts increases. And um, we use all the pieces for a couple of different reasons. We want to touch them as much as we can. In the old days, and this would be like 05, we were touching people you know, every other day, every third day. Now, if we you know go three, four weeks, that's about as long as you want to go between touches. But we put multiple pieces in there for the same reason like Pepsi and Coke and everybody else has multiple products. Not everybody's going to respond to a yellow letter. Some people, you know, the, the highly professional person is going to go, I'm not going to call this person. They can't even afford stationery. <laughs> or, you know, whatever the, the reasoning is for it, um, they don't like yellow. Or So we're sending the multiple pieces out to have to prospect to all the different mentalities that are out there. And the person that gets the greeting card who's just all gooey because they got this pretty little greeting card and you know and you wrote something in the inside that says, I want to buy your house, the same message that you would write on a yellow letter is different. It's, it's perceived differently for them. And so you keep doing this over and over and over and over again. And then the, the phone calls increase, the motivation, the sell increases, and pocketbook increases. Yeah. And so we do all these, you know, we're doing the whole, you know, campaign for the end goal of buying houses and making profit. So, so who, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you go ahead. Who, like, who are you sending these to? Great question. And people get hooked on lists and list types and all the stuff. I mean, there's really only two list types that are out there. People with equity in their property and people without equity in their property. So typically we wouldn't want to market to people without equity in their property unless we were in the short sell business and doing a lot of shorts, but we're not doing that nowadays. So we're wanting to market to people that have equity. I don't really care if the underlying group is probate, inherited, code violation, divorcee, whatever. Because if someone says, well, don't you market to expireds? If they're on my equity list, I do. Because it's the equity list that I can buy. I can't buy the non-equity list. I can't make any money on it. So, because I have to be buying at 50% on the dollar. Um, most people will buy at 70 cents on the dollar. I've gone down to 50 cents. I like that number better. And if so they you're don't, talking about, when you say 50 cents, you're talking about of the after-repaired value, correct? 
No, I'm buying it as is value, fifty cents on the dollar. Oh wow! And I'm and go so I don't look at the I, <laughs> I don't buy I don't look at the ARV at all. I look at the as is value because um, I don't do the repair. So I'm pure flipper. So I'm not going out there and changing the structure of the from how I I found it and bought it. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because I can flip faster. Yeah. And I have a contract. I am a general building contractor's license. I have a broker's license, so I can I can do all the pretty things to the house and. But I'll let that for someone who wants to do that. I don't want to go to Home Depot at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and buy materials for the crews that are going to be working in my houses. So it's, it's an equity list. The components to the equity list have changed a little bit lately. Uh, it used to be where we would want 40% equity base, single families, three to five bedrooms, seven-year ownership, and absentee would be was the premier list of the equity base list. Now that looks like 20% equity base, two to three bedrooms. It does, bedroom, bathrooms don't, does not matter. Four year ownership, and it doesn't matter if they're absentee or owner occupied. Mm, and, the, and the reason we've gone from 40% equity base to 20% equity base is because the algorithms that are determining the equity base model haven't changed enough and kept the up with the, price. For the appreciation that we experienced later. So, 20% equity from an algorithm model is 40% equity, huh. I'm finding. And so from my perspective, when you go into the um, lower end, so I like to stay under median sales price so or value, I should say. So if, if my area is 165 value from a median perspective and median is you know, the same amount of houses sold under this value and over this value, it's not an average, yeah. um, then I stay under median. So I'm not going to market to something that's, $250,000. Doesn't do me any good. And um, I play those numbers. So, again, owner-occupied and absentee for me are great. Or at one point, it was just absentee. There was a time that my owner-occupied had to be 65 years and older or older and lived in the house for 15 years. Huh. That's changed. We don't need that stripped of a, um, a uh, criteria on the list. So, I mean, when you put some of the criteria, you know, the list criteria in there, it really cuts your list down. But I mean, we still see that we're only able to buy one in nine houses. So you could know, go down the street and you go, there's ten, you know, nine houses. Well, if we market it to all nine of them, we'd be spending a lot of money on marketing and that couldn't produce. Uh-huh. So we market to the one and let the other nine grow up to a point where at some point we'll market to it because they'll have equity or they'll qualify to, to be on our list. Alrighty, well, that ends the first part of our interview with Michael Quirles. Uh, to visit the show notes, you can go to houseflippinghq.com slash episode 26. Michael and I will be happy to answer any questions you have. Don't forget to visit us at houseflippinghq.com to sign up for our next webinar where I teach you all about my business and answer live any questions you have. And don't forget to join us in the next episode where Michael finishes teaching us all the tricks and tips about how he runs his business, how you can improve yours, and how you can win a thousand free yellow letters, as well as another freebie, which we will mention in episode 27. Last of all, if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we sure would appreciate it. You can go to housebringhq.com slash podcast and do that for us, and it will sure mean the world to us. And with that, I bid you farewell. We have come to the end of January. Are you reaching your goals? Are you making it happen? 
get out there, take some action. We hope to be there with you and let us know if there's anything we can do. And we'll see you later. Bye. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.